0: Out of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13, here's what God says about you that you can become this. He says that I'm going to do something for you. It says, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You should be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and you're careful to observe them. This message today is how you absolutely can prosper in perilous times. Because God says, in days like this, I want my sons and daughters to be absolutely prosperous in everything they say, everything they do, body, soul, and spirit, to have true prosperity more than just possessions but you being whole, body, soul, and spirit. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you, and we know today we could do nothing without you, but with you, all things are possible. Thank you for being in us today, and we're believers in this room, and we know as believers all things are possible in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's men and women said, amen. 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 You could be seated, but before you sit down, tell your neighbor you're good looking. I promise, and sit down. Really, be serious. Tell them you're good looking. Now, I want you to think about this today, and if you're, uh, if you're here and Jennifer told you about the miracle mission for the uh, city center, pray about it, take it home, pray about it. But uh, we want you to be involved in it, however way you'd like to participate. But I think about you today and the world in which we live. The Bible says we would live in such a world called perilous times. It's interesting to me, and it's almost like people get like a little bit surprised about the world in which we live in, specifically in Stockton or in California. The world in which we live, we kind of get surprised that about this is going wrong, and this person does that, and this political party's doing. that and this political party is doing this and we get kind of Tripped out about the world which we live in, but we shouldn't because the Bible says we would live in such a chaotic world. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's the Apostle Paul. He's telling Timothy, he's saying, In the last days, Timothy, perilous times will come. He's talking about the, the age of the dispensations coming to an end. We are living in the latter days, the end days. Scriptures tell us that these are the last days. We know them because we are under the dispensation of God's amazing grace. After Calvary, we're living under this dispensation of grace. But these are perilous times in which we're living in. The word perilous means to be full of danger and risk. How many of you know if the last days would have danger and risk in them, we are truly living in the last day. So we're not to be surprised by that. We're to be affirmed by that because it proves, if anything, beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's word is absolutely true. His word is always true. Don't be surprised. Don't be concerned, but be prepared. Prepared to do what, Joey? Make a response because as children of God, our faith is not a fair weather faith. Our faith, as a matter of fact, it's not a fraud. How many of you know it's not good to have rabbit's foot faith? Rabbit's foot faith didn't do the rabbit any good and ain't going to do you any good got to remember how you got the rabbit foot remember the rabbit had to die so you don't want rabbit's foot faith you want real faith our faith is real it's tangible it's in spite of what we're going through we can have that kind of faith the scriptures say that overcomes the world that type of faith what world you talking about the world which we live in not the world we're imagining we can have or the world we're wanting to have or the utopia that we think these political people can give us the world in which we live right now we can overcome that because of our faith but do you know that there are no two days exactly alike I mean we live in such a rapidly changing world some of you remember when you were young that the phone was with the long cord and it was now you and if you really got good you got a little long distance and then it was like fifty dollars a minute to call long distance and then your daddy would yell at you get off the phone and then you would get into fights and the cord you would try to reach it outside so you can talk Talk to your little girlfriend or little boyfriend. Then came the old school phone they put on the strap and you thought you were like a drug dealer. Then you had a pager. Then they came with the flip phone. My daddy had a flip phone like up until like a couple years ago. He had the flip phone and then they have the smartphone and now the technology in a phone today they say is more technology in a smartphone than it took in the 1960s to get a man on the moon, NASA. There's so much rapid change. We're living in a time of change. There's no two days alike. You could be at a doctor's appointment, seems to be routine, seems to be kind of just an appointment for a checkup. But the doctor looks at you and says, it's not routine. You now have cancer. It's in those moments, in those times. Our faith is not fair weather. Our faith has to begin to fight. It has to fight fear. It has to fight fact. And it has to fight fatalism of wanting to quit and wanting to give up. And it's in those days that it's no longer fair weather, but we have to realize by his stripes, I am healed. Maybe you're at work one day, you're a faithful employee, and the the boss comes to you and says, the company's downsizing. It looks like we're going to have to lay some people off, and unfortunately you're going to be one of those that we're going to have to let go. And on that day, your faith starts to become a fact, a fact that overcomes the world. The company may not need you, but God Almighty has a plan for you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. His goodness shall follow you all the days of your life. That's important to know because you can't base your life on feelings. Remember that old song back in the 70s? Feelings. Well, I'm, I'm aging myself, but whoa, whoa, feel, feelings will mess you up. You'll be like an emotional roller coaster. You can't base your life on emotions. You can't base your life on circumstances. You can only base your life on a promise. A promise like Proverbs that tells you and I trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not into your own understanding but in always acknowledge him on a large scale our world is talking about global economic collapse and uncertainty in the markets uncertainty in our society uncertainty in civil unrest now we have a great divide because the media and political pundits are trying to divide the world in America like never before but I want you to know God has a strategy that will cure everything and God says you trust me as trust in the Lord then God says if you understand that trust factor then no matter what goes on when you give your life to me I'll give back to you I'll press it down shake it together and run it over I love what he says because with the same measure you give it shall be given back unto you we so tie that to monetary things, but God says, "No, no, you don't understand. With the same measure you give, it's going to be given back to you. The same measure you're giving out a smile, that smile is going to be coming back to you. That same measure you're giving out grace, that grace is going to come back to you. That same measure you're giving out resources to help those who can't help themselves, that that resource will come back to you. And God says, not only will it come back to you, it's going to be pressed down, shaken together, and." running over. What's the it? The it is exceedingly Abundantly, Above all, we can ask, think, dream, or imagine. God will bless you in every area and aspect of your life. He will pre- He will bless you physically. He will protect you. The Bible says he will give his angels to charge over you, to take charge over you and watch over you. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. That's Satan and his demonic whores. No matter what has come against you, your children, your family, God says, hands off my son, my daughter concerning them. They are protected. They're my child. They are mine. People in these times, they they really want to know in these tough times we live in, they want strategies for life. But let me give you a strategy as certain as the day it was written. And this is by the Lord. He says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory. This is a strategy that you can hold on to like an anchor of the soul. Here's what he says. I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and my glory. That's God says you have need, I'll supply all your needs. But it's not according to what you think you have or what you think you will amass. It's my riches and my glory. I'll supply everything that you have need of. I like that because I think to myself, what's God rich in? He's rich in healing, for he says by his stripes you are healed. If you're in this room and you're sick in your body, cancer, diabetes, tumors, it doesn't matter if it's a little toothache or it's a dilapidated body. God Almighty can heal you and restore you. He was and is and always will be the great physician. He can heal you right now. He's rich in health. He's called that great physician for a reason. He's also rich in peace. He says, I'll give you peace that surpasses understanding and prosperity. He says I do not give spirits of fears out, but I give love, power and a sound mind. That's what he's rich in. He's also rich in joy, for he says it make you rich and adds to you no sorrow. Here's what the world wants to know, friends. The world wants to know, where can we turn? A lot of times as the church, people in the church are answering questions nobody's asking. They're like praying, you know, doing all churchy stuff, and God says, "No, no, you want to know how you can get down, Charlie Brown? You know how you can really live a life of excellence, a life that has a culture of honor and faithfulness and loyalty, put your trust in me. Put your trust in the living God. The world wants to know what do we do and where do we turn. Can I tell you, friends, I know where we turn. We turn to the one true God, the living God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our help comes from the Lord, he and he alone. Can I get a witness this morning? I think that's where our help needs to always come from. I'm here to tell you that because I think people want to know, can you prosper in perilous times, times that are dangerous and risky? As a child of God, you should expect to prosper in times such as these. Why? Because God is not hemmed in by current circumstances. You need to realize that he's not intimidated by your crisis. He's not intimidated by what you're going through, your crisis in your family, your health, your emotions, your mental health. He is not intimidated by a market that's fluctuating, a world economic system that may be in flux and may have ups and downs. Why? Because we get so concerned about day-to-days. It's so true. God's not looking down on earth going, huh, I didn't expect that today. I didn't expect them to do that. I didn't expect the world to go so crazy and chaotic. Huh, who would have thunk it? God's not tripping. He's not intimidated. You and I are the ones that live moment by moment. You and I are the ones that live day by day. But friends, he is alpha and he's omega. He is first, but yet he's at last. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Do you know he has not one time, not ever for a fraction of a second, failed. He has never failed. So don't you think for a moment that he's going to fail you. He's not going to fail you. He might fail you because you're sideways, but maybe, oh may, I'm teasing. He's not going to fail you because God in his DNA doesn't have failure. He's a God of more than enough. He can do it. But you know what? In life, you really got to remember this. You have to remember something. It's not just knowing what to do because all of us pretty much know, you know, we know what to do, but it's really just doing it. We know what to do, but how many of you know we just have trouble and difficulty actually doing it? We have, we know what to do. We know what we should be involved in. We know what we need to let go of, but we have trouble just actually doing it, don't we? Let's take a nutritional example, 1130 at night. We know what we need to do. We need to go to bed. But the cookie's calling. The cookie's calling. You know what to do? You should take a Tylenol PM and go to sleepy. But the cookie is just, it's anointed. And if you're like me, you go into the pantry and you just break little pieces off at a time so that it doesn't seem like you ate the whole thing. And then you get really diabolical and you have the kids come over and say, eat this. So you don't take responsibility that you ate the whole cookie. We know what to do, but we have trouble because we start to eat the cookie. It's important in life. We claim these promises of God. We know, we know what to do, but we have trouble doing it. It's like the lady. She was so good on her diet. She was doing so good. I mean, she was exercising, working out, being disciplined, and every day she was strong in the Lord. She was strong in her discipline. Every day she would drive by the bakery, but she didn't let it affect her. She was just strong, disciplined. But this particular day she let her guard down. And she saw in the front window of the bakery a beautiful, piping hot, icing oozing off the side of a coffee cake. And she said, Lord, I have been disciplined. Lord, you know my heart and how good I've been. But Lord, you know that I like coffee cake. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. If you want me to have that coffee cake, Lord, let there be a parking spot right in the front of that bakery. And you know what? Sure enough, 17 times around, there was one. (laughs) We know what to do. We just kind of have trouble doing it. We know what to do when it claims those promises of God. We know we're called to be the head and not the tail. We know as believers we're called to be overcomers. We hear that, we get that in our spirit. We know what to do, but we just kind of have trouble doing it. But do you, you know in that passage I read this morning, the Bible tells us that we can be ahead, not the tail, that we should be above only and not beneath, but there is a comma in there. And the comma is, if you heed to the voice of the Lord. If you observe the commandments of God that I've commanded you this day and are careful to follow them. And then people would say, hey, back it up, Joey. You're talking about Old Testament law now. And under the Old Testament law, it is, if you do this, I'll do that. That is true. I've even declared that from this podium and others all across America. The Old Testament of law and sin was abolished by the New Testament grace of Jesus Christ. But Jesus echoes the same sentiment. It's no longer, if you do this, I'll do that. Jesus said, in this new covenant, it's a matter of reaping and sowing. He talked about in the parables, he said, if you heed the word of the Lord, and you're careful to be an obeyer of it, what Jesus is saying is, blessed is he who hears it and does it. Not the result of law taking you out, but now it's a matter of reaping what you sow to bring you in. To bring you in. How many of you know we do reap what we sow? And so many times we sow difficult things and we pray for crop failure. But that's not how it works. God says you reap it, you're going to sow it. When you bring it out, it's going to come back to you. That's what Jesus said. When obedience to his word brings a great harvest because you sowed that word, you believed that word, you lived out that word. And living against that word brings forth a harvest. A harvest many people don't like, but nevertheless, it brings forth a harvest. The Bible tells you and I that we are people of faith. We're not to be people of denominations. We're not to be people of this upbringing and I'm part of this group and I'm a part of that group. We are people of faith as believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible says our faith has to have works. And if it doesn't have works, then our our faith gets Dead. It, it begins to die. So in other words, we're not to tell people about our faith. We're to show our faith. We're not just to speak the word of faith only. We are to live that word of faith. And there are some people who are what I would call they're believing. They're believing, but their behavior betrays what they believe. They say, I'm a believer, but their b- behavior Comes against everything they say they believe in. You ever met people like that? I believe those promises, brother. Yes and amen. But their behavior, their actions, the way they live, it betrays what they believe. I'm believing for God to do this, Joey. I'm believing for God to do that. But they do everything in their power to come against what they're believing in. God wants you to prosper in these perilous times. You better believe it, friend. Absolutely. Consider this God made it a point to absolutely give His children the best of things and the worst of times consider Elijah he's a prophet of God there's a famine in the land and the king is in the house the 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 castle if you will in the penthouse he's starving to death and Elijah the man of God is well fed what does that tell you it doesn't matter where you are only matters whose you are and Elijah is well fed by the hand of God God's promises friends are not tied to economic quarterly reports They're not tied to circumstances and situations. That's important to know because people say, well, can we prosper in times like these? And how can we do it? And how can we live that way? If people say that, you have to know God's not moved by needs. God's moved by faith. He's not moved by our expressions of our needs. He is moved by our faith in him, trusting in his word. He holds tomorrow. As a matter of fact, don't put your faith in what this world says. Don't put your faith in the systems of this world. America will fail you. Politicians will fail you. Political parties will fail you. A Republican party, a Democratic party, those things will fail you. Only Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, he will never fail you. Only put your hope in Him. People will let you down. Pastors will fail. Your churches will let you down. People will let you down. We are flawed people. But God wants you to know His provision, His prosperity over your life will never fail because nothing is impossible to them that believe. Do I have any believers in the house today? As we get ready to close our time in just a moment, I want you to know God tells us something in Deuteronomy 8.18. He says that you and I should remember something, that it is the Lord who gives us the power to get wealth. Why does God say, remember that? Because we have a tendency to forget that. Whenever we consider the way in which we live, the day and age in which we live, we kind of look at our lives and we look at our, our way of, we generate income or generate life with our family and we kind of... Get rid of the thought that God is in control. There isn't anything we do, listen, that generates anything that we have that God doesn't give us the ability to obtain. There isn't anything you do or anything you have that God, that's good in your life, that God doesn't give you the ability to obtain. But we have a tendency to forget where our resources come from. We have a tendency to forget where our health comes from. It doesn't come from Blue, Chaos, Blue Cross or Kaiser. It comes from the Lord. We forget sometimes where our resources come from. You say, "What's well, my 401K. It's my job. It's my entrepreneur spirit. It's God in you. But what we do is we distort down the perspective of prosperity, and we condense it down to be measured only by possessions. And we do it all the time in the church. We do it with people we see. And when you start to discuss prosperity in the church, the room gets divided you start to immediately divide the room. When Psalms 133 says, I'll command the blessing for those that come into unity. Could you imagine what would happen in this culture of this church when we exalt Jesus and lift him up if we would get unified? Just about one topic, the topic of prosperity. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if we would unify about it? Can you imagine the blessing of God where he would command the blessing upon it? But we argue about it. We don't verbally all the time, but when we hear things like this, we hear like, well, does God want us to be prosperous? Well, we get the sucking teeth syndrome. Well, face starts to get all ugly. Well, you ever been to a restaurant and you ask the waiter or waitress, hey, is that meatloaf any good? Well, with a response like that, give me two. <laughs> well. The Bible says the Lord delights in the prosperity of his saints. But you and I have to understand something, friends. In understanding of what he delights in, you have to know the biblical definition of prosperity. Because prosperity is not about money. Money. Prosperity is not connected to possessions. Prosperity is connected to control, to control. It's connected to who is in charge. 3 John 2, beloved, I wish of all things you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Here we receive a much more complete picture of what prosperity is truly all about when it comes to God's terms and God's ways. More than the things we possess or our possessions. When you reduce prosperity down to possessions, you create an argument for the, yes, Lord, I'll take a crowd. You know, you just got too much stuff. You just a greedy little sucker, aren't you? All you want is more and more and more and more. And that's how we get into fights in a home in a marriage and even in the church where you have, yes, Lord, I'll take a crowd, more houses I didn't build, vineyards I didn't plant, wells I didn't dig. That hurt my ankle. I'm sorry. I just blew out my calf. Ouch. But I would much rather believe in the promises of God. I would much rather believe in his promises concerning prosperity than think he wants me to live in poverty, because poverty is a curse. I was an 11-year-old little boy, I'm not raised in church, I have no religious background, so I'm the first-generation Christian, a believer in my family, I was the first one to come to the Lord, and I was the first-generation pastor, my wife and I and our family, we're we're plowing ground that, that has never been plowed in our family, and I was 11 years old. I know what poverty is to the aspect of America. Now you can go to other countries and have a different definition, but I mean as an American living in America, being put out on your own, living in a trailer with no food and the trailer had no truck on it and you're in the front of the house and there's no heat, there's no air, the windows are broken and you're staying there for months on end until you just absolutely get so fed up and leave because you can't take it another night. I understand what poverty is not having any resources. And I can tell you, because of decisions, I would call those things a curse. How can he be El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, and want his children to live in poverty? Would you want that for your children? Of course not. Those things don't go together. Use common sense. The Bible doesn't say, however, though, you need to hear this, that prosperity and possessions are connected. They do not. As a matter of fact, people will often argue. Well, and this is what they do. Then they get their little waggy finger out. You know that one? Eh, this one? And they'll go, You is the love of money. It's the root of all evil. The Bible says it's the love of money. Then they start quoting the Bible on things that are never in the Bible. You ever been around people like that? The Bible says God helps those that help himself. No, Benjamin Franklin said that, not God. God says in his word he hates ugly. No, that's what you are, but that's not what God said. But they do that. They go. They start saying half-truths and scriptures, and they say the love of, the love of money. It's the root of all evil. No, no, no. That's not what the scripture says. That's a misquote. The Bible says it this way. The love of money is the root of all kinds, plural, of evil. Why is that important to throw that in there? Because when you condense it down to the root of all evil, it makes it sound like money is the root of every fault in the world. Consider David and Bathsheba had nothing to do with money, but would you agree it was evil? So prosperity and possessions, they are not synonymous. One goes with the other, but they're not about each other. And money is not evil. It is the love of money that is evil. But money is a tool. It's a resource. How can we in today's society move from place to place? How, if we didn't have paper currency or, or, or card currency, we would be involved in other forms of trade. You'd be traded this pelt for that pelt. You would have this little coin and you would trade that or this land piece for that land piece. It's just a way of the resource and way it's transferred so you can move about. When you read the Bible, you find out something, friends, that we are absolutely flawed people. And I want you to hear this because we find out quickly that we do not measure up by possessions. You know why? Because we don't possess anything. It all belongs to God. Everything you have acquired is on loan from God. Your health, your breath, you think you're all that and a bag of chips, write a check for your next breath. You can't breathe without God's permission. Here's what the scriptures say. Now think about this. Some of you have never read this Bible passage. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we'll take nothing out of it. I have never seen in all of my years of doing funeral services this picture that we'll show you. I've never seen it. Take it in. Take it in. Just look at it. Your mind's wandering like mine, like what's in there, right? I've never seen that pull up to a funeral home. Because we take nothing in this world... We take nothing out of this world. The only thing we're gonna to take to heaven is people and what we put in the kingdom of God. Every one of us think about possessions in life, but God says, don't be deceived. Without me, you can't do anything. There's no self-made dynamos in this room. There's only those who say, God, I'm gonna let you be in charge of my life and be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Why? Because we're careful to observe the word of the Lord, to reap what we sow. Can we prosper? God wants me to prosper, but you gotta look at the word of God and find out what God says, that nothing has to do with possession when it comes to prosperity. When he's talking about prosperity, this has nothing to do with possessions to make you ahead and not the tail, above only and not beneath. It has everything to do with control. Nothing to do with possessions. This is not a prosperity gospel. And I'm into prosperity. I love it just like you love it, because you wanna prosper. I love that, I wanna be a prosperous person, have things for my family, my children, but it's not a prosperity teaching. It's a teaching on control. How can I be in control of my life with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's about control. Ask yourself the question, who's in charge, head or tail? God says, when you prosper, I'll put you in control. I'll put you in control. Look at Adam and Eve, some of you know the story. In the Garden of Eden, he looked at them and he blessed them, they prospered, why? Because he put them in control. When they forfeited the control, ate the forbidden fruit, what happened? They started to live in poverty. So when you prosper, the Bible says you'll be in control. You do not need to be possessed by your possessions. You need to possess your possessions. And there's a world of difference. You meet people, they're possessed by what they have, their cars, their house. I always see in certain neighborhoods I drive in, they've, they bring their cars because they get them all fixed up and they think they're all big boss applesauce and they pull their car right in the front yard. I'm like, that's your mother's or your grandmother's house. That's not cool. Take your car and put it on the street and live in it and protect it, but don't pull it and mess up your family's grass. But what happens? They're possessed by their possessions. You know it by the way they park. You say, well, you've never lived in that neighborhood like that. Of course I have. But I'm telling you that for a reason because it shows what God's saying on the inside of us. Listen to David in Psalms 119 verse 133 because biblical prosperity has to do with the whole being, the physical. The mental, the spiritual, not just things we amass, not just cars we pull up and and somebody's grass because we think we got it fixed up now. And we want people to to know that I value this thing because I got it weirdly parked. Listen to Psalms 119 verse 133. He says, direct my steps, O Lord, by your word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. Man, David's earnest prayer, he was saying, God, don't let me be out of control. Keep my life in control. David wanted to prosper, he understood prosperity. He was vastly wealthy, but it had to do more with control than it did about money. Look at the problems David faced. Look at the issues in his life. Ask yourself, how many of you know that David's problems, many of them could not be solved financially? You can't buy off a lion and a bear when you're a shepherd, but you need to have something to answer the problem. I think about you in life, and my life. David didn't go out to Goliath when he was coming to kill him and say, hey, monster, take the loot and scoot. You'll get along just fine. No, no. These were problems that David was facing in life that financially had no answers for, but he gave him an answer for the problem and he prospered him in that great cause. What David was praying, Lord, Lord, I come into a situation, I do not want a financial answer, I want an answer. When the giants start to come against me and mocks my God and mocks me, give me the courage to face that giant. When the enemies march against me and they come to destroy me, make me mighty in battle. When those who I've trusted in and I've poured my life into, when they betray me and belittle me and say all hurtful manner about me, give me the peace that surpasses understanding. To know you have not left me or forsaken me. What David was saying, I don't want to live one moment, one second outside of God's protection. I want no iniquity to have control over me.